Well, we uh, certainly want to welcome you tonight to our Ash Wednesday service. If you're on your calendar, you know that uh, today is marked Ash Wednesday, and it's one of those um, church holy days. So it's, it's what it's it's what it's considered a church holy day, along with uh, along with the season of Advent, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost Sunday, those sorts of um, those sorts of times. And if you grew up in a church tradition that celebrated Lent, now I did not. I, I did not grow up in that tradition. Maybe some of you did. Um, if you did, then you're familiar with Ash Wednesday. It won't be a thing that I could say that uh, would bring uh, any new information about that. But one one disadvantage, you might say, of not growing up in such a tradition is, I think for me, for 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 a long time, I looked suspiciously, you know, at uh, at Ash Wednesday and Lent. Uh, I looked at it suspiciously, um, kind of kind of looking at it like eh, that's just an empty ritual. That's just that's just empty, you know. You you and and any any religious ritual can be empty, really. I mean, any religious ritual can be empty. I mean, Jesus Jesus put it, you know. Remember when he when he said, you know, quote, quoting from Isaiah, you know, you 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 praise me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You see, that's an empty religious ritual, you know, praising praising God with our lips, but our heart's not really there; it's miles away. That can be an empty ritual. So, actually, uh, Lent, Ash Wednesday, these observances can be. Uh, can be very meaningful for those who participate. Actually, to understand the intent behind Ash Wednesday, we have to begin with um, the background for the season of Lent. And uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, one of the one of the early church fathers was um, his name was Irenaeus of Lyons, and he wrote, and we actually have this. Or he wrote of such a season in the earliest days of the church. Uh, a season of Lent. However, it only lasted then, originally, two or three days. Over the years, it, it, it has grown to where now it's, it's a 40-day observance. And why 40 days? Well, um, it actually, the 40 days mirrors some biblical events that you're familiar with. For example, you know, uh, what, what happened during the flood? It rained 40 days and 40 nights. The Israelites wandered 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus was in the wilderness temptation for 40 days, you see. So that, that's, that's really what this mirrors. There's no, there's, no, there's no special, you know, there's no specialness in 40 days. Um, but that's what, that's what it mirrors is these particular events and some others. Um, and, and, and obviously the length of Lent has changed from its original two or three days uh, its its purpose, uh, its intent really hasn't changed. It's uh, it was always meant to be a preparatory time leading up to Easter. In other words, I want to I want to get you know I want to get my heart uh, prepared for Easter. It's similar similar to Advent. You know, we think about uh, during during Christmas we think about the Advent season. You know, leading up to uh, the birth of Christ and. It's it's just that preparatory time. We want to get our hearts in sync uh, with, uh, with you know celebrating the uh, the, the incarnation. And it's the same way 
at Easter. We want to get our hearts in sync for the, 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 the beauty, the greatness, the majesty of, of Christ's resurrection. It's also uh, in that time of uh, preparation, it's a time for, uh, some, some, some say a time for contemplation. You know, you, it's, it's kind of thinking, you know, some deep thinking, soul searching, you know, um, uh, self-examination, uh, fasting, as we mentioned the other day, giving up certain things maybe. Uh, uh, for some, again, giving up, some maybe uh, taking on something during, during that season. Like I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to do this. So I've read, I was reading this week where some, uh, some actually practice during the Lent season giving more than they normally do. They, they may have a certain amount that they, they give during the year, but during the Lent season, uh, they, they, during that 40-day period, they give more. Uh, like I've heard of some during Advent season, like, you know, like to celebrate Christ's birthday, you know, they'll give a special offering, that sort of thing. But uh, all, all of this, all of this leads up again to the celebration at Easter. Ash Wednesday, though, marks the beginning of the season of Lent. And uh, for those of you who are familiar, you'll know, for those of you not on Ash Wednesday, and, and there's many churches, some churches in our, our, our community that are celebrating this, you'll know that worshipers, during, during the service, worshipers will come forward and the minister will mark their forehead uh, with the, the sign of the cross. Um, the symbolism of the ashes, you know, some say, why, why is it ashes? Again, it's an echo of an Old Testament tradition of throwing ashes over one's head, you know, you can read that throughout the Old Testament. And what did that? What did that signify? It signified what repentance, right? And so, what 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 will happen tonight is when uh, when you come forward, uh, just prior to making the symbol of the cross on your forehead, we will we will say, uh, "Remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return." Now, let, let me let me let me make this clear, you know. Believers are not obligated to participate. You're invited to, uh, but you're not obligated to do so when, when that time comes, just so you'll, you'll be aware of that. Um, I want to read, uh, before we sing a couple of songs, I want to read from um, Psalm 51. I'm going to read um, a significant portion of it, so if you will just uh, get yourself uh, comfortable, but not too comfortable, to, um, to hear the word of the Lord. In Psalm 51, David writes, and you'll remember that this is the background for uh, David's uh, sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. and Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is God's word. If you would, take your Bibles and uh, let's just turn briefly over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I want us to look just briefly at, a, at an account that I'm sure uh, most of us, if not all, are familiar with. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. I want to read beginning at verse 1 through verse 10. He, that would be Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also was a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. The question from these verses is, how did the most selfish man in ancient Israel become one of the most generous men? Good question. How how did the most selfish man in Israel become one of the most generous men without being commanded to? Without being commanded to. There's a lot we don't know in this exchange, which we'll see in just a moment. But there's one thing for sure. We, we don't see any clear command from Jesus for Zacchaeus to do the extraordinary thing that he did. So let's see how this happened. This is, this is one of those occasions where Jesus goes after a notorious sinner. Uh, and in verse 10, he said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. We know why. We know why Jesus is willing to go out on a limb and hear the crowd say, yeah, there he goes, you know, there he goes having lunch or dinner with a a notorious sinner. Jesus is passing through Jericho, and um, this was was in the first century A.D. The world was under Roman rule, which means means that uh, to be under Roman rule, you, you had to pay tax. You had to pay tax, but the Roman Empire had problems in some areas getting the tax. You know, just like the U.S. government probably has trouble getting all the tax revenue, you know. But, but, but the Roman Empire had a, a, a unique way of solving the problem. To solve the problem, 
the Romans would hire a native of the conquered area to, to collect the tax for them. The Romans, the Romans didn't care how much extra this person might get. All that mattered was they, they wanted to receive their parts. So you, you can kind of figure this out, right? You know, the Roman Empire hires, let's, let's hire Zacchaeus, let's hire him. And uh, he's thinking, okay, uh, how much have I got to bring in from, well, okay, I've got to bring this. Well, uh, what if I just tack on a little extra, you know? What if I, what if I tack, tack on my fee, you see? Roman Empire didn't care. You know, you, you get as much extra as you want, but we just want to get our part. Zacchaeus was one of those people. He was one of those tax collectors. And if you've read in the New Testament Gospels, you'll know that tax collectors were always lumped in. It was tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. <laughs> you know, so you, you got lumped in that category. Tax collectors were not, not the most popular people. And so what all of this meant for Zacchaeus was it meant that he had become substantially wealthy by selling out his family and his friends. And as a result, verse 7, you see it there, uh, they all grumbled, he's gone into the, to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. They, they didn't say tax collector here, they said sinner. That's how they saw him. But it appears that, that Zacchaeus didn't care, you know, it, he really wasn't bothered by this. It doesn't appear to be because he appears to love money. He's not too concerned about what people think about him. doesn't care what his family thinks. doesn't care what his friends think. doesn't care what his neighbors think because he loved money. But on this particular day, Jesus said to him, I'm coming to your house. I must. I must come to your house. And... You know, it's probably, um, you probably have a tendency to, to overlook how mind-blowing this is um, because of the reaction here. I mean, the, the crowd, the, the crowds come unglued over this, you see. But Je- Jesus is not bothered by that at all. He probably knows in advance how they're going to feel, but it doesn't bother him at all. And it, it's pretty mind-blowing. You have to, you have to wonder, you know, I, I, I wondered today as I was reading this, I wondered, you know, if I'd have been there, if I'd have been there, I wonder what I would have said. I wonder if I'd have thought, you know, maybe I wouldn't have said it. I don't know. But I wonder if I'd have thought, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, m- most, most, time, most of the times I, 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 over the years, I counsel with believers, and, and, and often they'll say things like, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I should go to this. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I should go to this. I don't know if I should go to this. And I don't know if I should reach out to this person because they're pretty messed up. And it's always, what will people think, <laughs> you see? What will people think? And, uh, you know, while, while we may have to use discretion, you know, about certain things, uh, Jesus, Jesus just did, did not seem to care here uh, that they were accusing him in such a way. And so this is pretty mind-blowing. That Jesus would say, hey, I must come to your house. Now, here's, here's the problem. We, we don't know a great deal of what was said at, the, at this meeting. Because it's, it's Jesus and Zacchaeus, as far as we know. We, we, we have, here's what we have. We have verse 8 and we have verse 9. Uh, Verse 8, you know, we have what Zacchaeus says. He's, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
that, that's mind-blowing. And, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That, that's crazy. That's out-of-the-box crazy. Uh, so, but, but, and then Jesus says, hey, you know, salvation has come to this house. We, we don't know what else is said here. We're left in the dark, okay? But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. We know, we know the effect that this meeting had upon Zacchaeus. We don't know all that was said, but we know the effect that this meeting had upon Zacchaeus because we read it in verse 8. And then in verse 9, Jesus' salvation has come to you, has come to this house. So you know, while we don't have a lot of details, we have some really important details. And one thing we need to block out and just deal with right away, we are not to assume here that Zacchaeus bought his salvation. Don't, don't go down that trail. Don't look at this and go, well, you know, Zacchaeus is being extra generous here, and so Jesus says, cool, <laughs> you know, you're, you're in. You're in because you, look, look at what, look how financially, what contribution you've made. That's not it at all. No, no. Zacchaeus was changed. He was changed. And we should notice the change did not come it did not come by command. We don't read here where Jesus said, look, you know, you, you've been significantly ripping people off here, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself, and so here's how we're going to settle this matter, and, and, and here's what you got. I'm commanding you to do this. He, we, the change in Zacchaeus does not come by command. It comes by a, an experience with Jesus. That's it. Does it come by command? You see, the Jewish law commanded such a response. In fact, it, it, in fact, Zacchaeus went over. He went over the command. But the Jewish law actually commanded such a response. But Jesus, an experience with Jesus, produced something in Zacchaeus that the Jewish law provided no power to do. Now think about that. The, the law was there. The law was clear. Zacchaeus, this is what you should do. This is what you're commanded to do. But it didn't give the power to do it. And suddenly on this day, not only, is, not only does he respond, he goes over and above the command. In fact, well, I, I thought about this today. I know I've told this story before, but it's been years ago. And you know, the way your memory is, you probably forgot it. So, uh, <laughs> I heard about this man. This is a true story. Um, his, his, he was telling about his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law uh, would not wear a seatbelt. Couldn't get him to wear a seatbelt. Whole family kept saying, you know, kept saying, you know, you better, you're going to, you're going to be sorry one day. You better put on a seatbelt. They, you know, they give him statistics and they'd say, hey, you know, and, and he ignored all. And this man was saying he he picked up his brother-in-law one day from the airport, and immediately his brother-in-law got in the car and strapped on the seatbelt. And uh, he looked at him and said, what's that all about? What happened to you? you know, why, why did you do that? And he said this. He said, a couple of weeks ago, I went to see a friend of mine in the hospital. He had been in a car crash, and he went through the windshield. He had 200 stitches in his face, and for some strange reason, ever since then, I haven't had any problem buckling up. Now, here's what his brother-in-law asked him. He said, I asked him, he said, well, did you get any new information? 
I mean, did you, did you actually get any new information that you didn't already know? What was it that changed you? What, what, what was it? What happened? And his, his, his brother-in-law offered this explanation. He said, what happened was that an abstract proposition became connected to an actual sensory experience that is something he saw. In other words, they had been telling him these abstract statements. We do it all the time. You know, you, you better watch out out there. You're going to get, you know, and, and it's, it's abstract. And, 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 and our teenagers and our grandchildren, they're like, eh, you know, eh, eh, you know. That happens to other people. It won't happen to me. It's abstract, you see. But what happened here, he, he had an actual experience. He had a friend who went through the windshield, and he, he saw the 200 stitches, you see. It was a real-life experience, and, and it brought about real-life change. And what the writer says here is this. Something has to become real to your heart, then you will change. Something has to become real to your heart, not abstract, but real to your heart, then you will change. See, what happened to this man in the seatbelt, we could say he repented, right? There was a change. See, repentance is a change of mind, but, but it's not just that. It's, it's a change of mind about what is really valuable, a change of mind about what is really valuable, or, or a change of mind about what we love, you know, we, we had loved this and our affections were toward this, but then we saw something greater, something more captivating, something more wonderful touched us. We experienced something far more lovely, and we shifted our love. See, we repented. This is exactly, really, this is exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. He was a man who loved money and had a change of loves. Verse 8, half of my money to the poor. Anybody I've defrauded, no doubt that was a lot. <laughs> I'll pay them back fourfold. Repentance. Not because of a command, but because of an experience with Jesus. See, Zacchaeus was a despised man in that tree. Oh, people despised him. But Jesus would end his ministry despised and rejected, hanging on a tree. And he would take Zacchaeus' place and our place. And may the Holy Spirit May the Holy Spirit make this real once again to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, over these next few minutes, over these next few minutes throughout this evening, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make what we, we know intellectually, mentally, make it sweet, valuable, lovely to us once again. And may, may we set our affections, our love, on you, loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Dale's going to join me here at the front. And um, what we'll do is, um, for those of you who would like to participate, we'll, we'll, have, uh, we'll have two lines, one, one down this way and one down this way. And... Um, after, after you've received the ashes, what you can do is instead of trying to go back down the middle off, you'll go around that way. And once, we have, uh, once we've completed, we will, uh, we will pray and then we'll be dismissed. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, for those who'd like to participate. If you'll just begin a line here.
and uh encouragement to you before we depart is uh, let's uh, 
Let's do our best to take care of one another. Do our best to pray for one another. The list was kind of long uh, and seems like it grows each week. But uh, tomorrow, tomorrow is our Thursday gathering. If you're able to make it, it's 11 o'clock tomorrow. Um, again, uh, for for those you might not have heard, again, Peggy Mauser, uh, her mother's uh, visitation, I think it's from like 10 until 12 in the morning, and then the funeral service is at 12, and that's at Rest Haven. So um, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, really, really grateful that you uh, wanted to come out and be a part of this. Uh, Father, may uh, your blessing of peace uh, go with us uh, to our homes, and uh, as we uh, as we make our way through this uh, season leading up to Easter, may may we take time to uh, for contemplation, for self examination, and uh, may the result be uh, true, genuine repentance, uh, a true, generous giving of ourselves uh, for your service, and. Uh, May it uh, bring us to a a more joyful celebration of Easter. And we pray this in the name of the resurrected Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Blessings. You're dismissed.